Welcome to the Unhinged History, the podcast, the podcast where each week I am compulsively going through the random articles on Wikipedia, just curious as all get out if it's going to serve up something I've never heard before. And I then every week team up with my co-host Angie and we pretend that the other one hasn't been doing the exact same random Wikipedia (laughs) search. And then we follow that up with the hopeful note that neither of us info dumped all over our husbands and they know the story better than we do now. (laughs) I don't ever make that pretension. I know (laughs) right now that while Hubs is laying in bed, you could walk in there and be like, so what what is she going to tell me? Uh, She's going to tell you about this. And then this happened, you know, honestly, I zoned out about blank, but I mean, at least she made a movie (laughs) reference. I got that. I got. I was there for the Star Wars reference. Um. So early, I I have to I have to call. I think this literally made my whole day. Uh. This morning, I texted and said, "Um, we're meeting at nine, right?" And she said, "Excuse me, while I go yeet myself to the TV and watch Outlander for an hour." <laughs> well, because like we historically go before nine right like i say historic i was gonna say we historically talk at eight and i was like no sometimes we do at seven and i don't know if we've ever done as late as nine unless we go right up into the afternoon and do sometime in like three yeah you know so i was it gonna just, try to say we have a schedule and i was like no we really don't we're all over the place but it's it so far hasn't yeah. been nine it just made me laugh because you were like okay cool i'm gonna go watch outline and then bye and i was like Ian, she yeeted herself out of our conversation like I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but they didn't release the entire season. I have to wait until they dribble it out one episode at a time. These are things, and I hate them. Like, here's the thing. You all gave us binge watching. Yes. And then you have the audacity to try to take it away? This isn't 1998. I don't need to be present at my TV at 4 o'clock on a Thursday. Exactly. Dude. Hmm. The amount of shows that we've been like, oh, we can watch the whole series in one day. Nope. Yeah. Like, look, I was getting ready to call in dead. I was getting ready to binge watch the entire season and then Mm -hmm. just bask in the warmth of knowing I completed something. Mm -hmm. Even if that completed something meant I laid on my couch for eight hours straight. I needed my own gold star and I will not allow you to smack down the reasons I've given myself that gold star, but I just need that star, damn it. Also, for the sake of all the other moms that might be ladies that moms that might be listening to this, um, how are you capable of watching TV during the day with children? Uh, you, you give them NyQuil and send them to bed because if you're trying to watch a show like Outlander, it is not always child child appropriate. Right, right. I mean, like Kiddo and I did watch Game of Thrones together, albeit the abridged version, because there was a <laughs> lot of fast forwarding. <laughs> the abridged version so it was like a half a stab maybe a monologue and then fast forward and then credits perfect she loves Jon Snow that's all that matters she loves Jon Snow and the dragons were great perfect you know so I mean maybe her takeaways are a bit different maybe Lady Marmot had a more prominent role than what everybody else considers but I don't think that that's a bad way to watch Game of Thrones no, no, not no, not at all. I mean, my kids who have never watched a single episode could probably tell you the Night's Watch vows because they've heard them so much in our house that they're like, oh, yeah, that's from Game of Thrones. Like, they know the song. 
but they've never because I didn't think about watching the abridged version with them. <laughs> I mean, she would just because I go to bed early, so I wake up early, right? And so she would stumble into the room, and I was like, I don't want to turn this off yet. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Okay, so where are we in the show? And I'm like, Okay, well, here's what you missed. Like, I would do the episode recap for her, the cliff notes. Yeah. And then. <laughs> She'd be like, okay. And I'd be like, oh, I got to fast forward past this part. Close your eyes. There's kissing. She goes, oh, okay. Oh, okay. So um, when I when I posed this question to my husband, I was like, she is capable of watching TV during the day with an actual child in her house. Um, I cannot watch anything unless I'm cooking dinner um, where they stay out of the same room. And he said she probably has a more than one TV or she says, child, go play elsewhere. And the child listens. And I said, well, that doesn't work in my house. My children are like, hey, what are you watching? Let's talk about it. I mean, I only have one TV, but kiddo is rather enamored with YouTube kids on her iPad. For the win. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, you could go engage in your own screen time. Yeah, your shows are lame anyhow, Mom. I'm tired of watching World War II documentaries. Goodbye. So uh, we watch a lot of Discovery Plus, and um, they love, well, I love, like, the mysteries of the abandoned and the what on earth, like the, you know, what we find from the satellites. And yeah. Figure out what I love those shows. And they will sit, I, that's what I watch when I make dinner, and they will sit and watch the entire episode. And like postulate theories and and cut and I'm like okay you know what if you're engaging in the same stuff with me I am here for it right inevitably Owen will come in eventually and be like hey mom if dinner's gonna take a long time can we just put on Avatar then I'm like also yes because <laughs> it's at that time of the year it's it's time to watch the last Airbender again <laughs> right right and when I say that I mean the series not the movie because we have okay. Standards. And yeah, class. no, I mean, that's fine. I mean, honestly, I wasn't a big fan of Avatar 1. The second one was, I, I mean, maybe better, but I mean, like, I think there was less hype around the second one, so I was okay with it. Yeah, I'm I, I'm, I'm referring to Avatar The Last Airbender as in the cartoon series versus the... Uh, James Cameron uh, Fern Gully remake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the live-action Avatar where Prince Zuko didn't look like Prince Zuko and Aang looked ridiculous. I still haven't seen the live-action, so... Don't, it's not worth your me. time. It's super okay. not worth your time. <laughs> anyway! Yeah, but that's not why we're here. Today? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, my story isn't a complete bummer. You're not going to want to go write any uh, members of authority after the end of mine. Oh, um, I love that for me. Right? Um, nobody eats a puppy. Yes. <laughs> Teresa's not going to appall me with gross stories and then have snack. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to apologize at any point during my story. Uh, then are you okay? Do you need a hug? I mean, I might need to uh, schedule that appointment to get my medication refilled, but that's that's been needing to happen for a while. So why would today be any different? Because the ADHD has got to surface at some point to rule out the autism. These are things. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but oh, I mean I'm all so that excited. all that to say I don't have to go first to position you as the palate cleanser for everybody who wants to go into the weekend without wanting to cry hysterically into their pillows. 
Oh my gosh, I absolutely love that. I although I do I don't mind being the palate cleanser. Either. That's so weird. I'm a palate cleanser. Honestly, that would be one of those t-shirts that you would wear to the supermarket and have all of the dads move their daughters away from you. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or they'd have a lot of questions. I mean, okay. So I say that and I'm wearing, I'm wearing a shirt. Let me see if I can adjust my camera. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So my shirt is a black shirt. It says nasty woman. The shirt apparently um, was a proud parenthood fundraiser tea. And it came out right after uh, the 45th president while he was campaigning for his first run um, referred to Hillary Clinton as a nasty woman and Planned Parenthood printed a bunch of these t-shirts. And anyhow, I wore this shirt like last year. So this is an old shirt, right? So I wore this shirt like at the supermarket. I'm not thinking it was just a t-shirt, t-shirt and jeans. Right. And this dad apparently didn't remember the reference, looks at my shirt, moves his daughter to the other side of the cart, realizes I saw him do that. And then says, look, <laughs> I'm sure you're a nice person, but I, I'm going to take my chances. Um, And I just kind of was like, okay. huh? Oh, I, you know what? I'm not even do your thing, bro. I'm not even going to like. I mean, I'm a, I'm a chick with long blue hair and a shirt that says nasty woman. You've got every right to not understand what the hell's happening. Like, that's fine. Um, can I just tell you how much I appreciate this entire story because of what my story is today? Well, now you're going to go first. I, I have to go first now, don't I? <laughs> also, though, mine's super different. I have an Indiana Jones t-shirt on. Yeah, yours is complete opposite vibes. Yeah, super opposite vibes. I'm 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 hunting for treasures that belong in museums because I'm British and white. Um, Way to introduce my story. But anyhow, go on. <laughs> did did we really just do each other up like that? I mean, I think kind of, yes. I am so excited for us. <laughs> so let me pull out my story then. Um I I swear to you I'm getting my act together. I I don't believe it. There's no need. You know, I've known you for long enough. You don't need to lie to me. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you you expect me to not have my act together. Would you believe me if I told you I absolutely lost the app that my story's in? Would you believe me if I told you that I thought I had written my story down because I had all of my sources and been thinking about them so long that I had to wake up at 5 a.m. this morning and go, I should actually do my homework, huh? (laughs) I I feel better then because um yes, like I'm gonna I was gonna put save these for the end, but I think that honestly sharing them in the beginning is just so badass it has to be done. Octopus? Um, yeah. No, I'm joking. She didn't share a picture <laughs> of an octopus. Can you see these beautiful women? Wow. Okay, so Angie is sharing a collage of pictures. They are um primarily black women in these incredible mm-hmm. turbans uh from they're a called variety of times zones. they're called what yes tions tions okay i just the learned a new tions, word yep yep and most of these women lived in the like louisiana area um i have to show you this last one that uh, is the voodoo queen herself 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Though my story has nothing to do with voodoo. Dang it. Um, I Angie. thought it was super, super awesome that she's in this story. I mean, well, there, voodoo could have been involved. I don't know, but look at this. Look at this. Like, you see that lace collar on her? So the picture that I'm showing is a painting that was done by an artist called Francis Francois Fleshbein. And it is supposedly of his free black housekeeper. They believe her name was Betsy. However, there is some belief now that Betsy is just a like figment of our imagination. And they just created the name that we don't actually know her name. But she has this like silken linen looking tion on and diamond drop earrings. And this delicate lace rough collar with this diamond brooch. And by delicate, it is like so fine and see through that it has got. It's beautiful, but it's it like looks wishy. itchy, itchy as all get out. <laughs> it does. Now, um, I'm highlighting this picture because in the, I believe it was the '80s, this photo was restored, and the artist that did the restoration for it, they actually removed the delicate lace collar and put just like your standard like linen folded collar because mm. they didn't believe it to be accurate. Only recently, like in the last 10 to 20 years, did they like, no, this, this lace collar, these diamond brooches were accurate. All the rage. And sh- they were absolutely, she owned these things. So I think it's really cool that they restored it to the way that it should have been, including the fine chair she's sitting in. I don't know if you can see it, but you can see the like gold painted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's just absolutely magnificent. Okay. So those are my ladies. I don't remember how to stop sharing. <laughs> there we go. Anyways, you know I... that is that is such the the claim for a neurodivergent. <laughs> I don't know how to stop sharing. <laughs> we need shirts that say that. Honestly, I would be down for that. <laughs> don't help me stop sharing. <laughs> um, like if I'm in a meeting and I just can't get out of my way, just turn off my microphone. Help me, please help me. Um, my sources are a pvfa.tamu.ed article um, called Antoinette's Tion Examines Headwraps as Self-Expression for Black Women. A NewYorkHistory.org Settlers, Colonialism, and Revolution article. Um, Wait, th- the- this is all making sense because I won't even let you get your, through your sources before I interrupt. Um <laughs> Where you're like, hey, this week, are you doing person, place, or thing? And I was like, is this Wheel of Fortune? <laughs> are we guessing nouns now? Yeah, like, <laughs> I'll buy an E. <laughs> well, I was like, I I had several ideas, like, floating around in my mind, and none of them were, like, I couldn't settle on any one thing. And so I was like, okay, if she tells me she's doing a person, then I'll pick an event. Like, mm. or if she if she's picking a time frame, I'll what you know what I mean. Like, I'll, yeah, I'll find I'll something ju- that's absolutely bad. Okay, right. So, but then Ian, that like shortly after I sent you that text, Ian sent me one of these articles, and I was like, never mind, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. Um, Tion Laws of Louisiana from. Royal Tours, New Orleans.com. Welcome to Women in Colonial Louisiana, 64 Parishes, History, Voodoo, and Tian Laws in Louisiana. And a couple more. Um, Teen Vogue had a great article. And the History of Women's Movement Fashion, Feminist Fashion History Feminism. Like, okay, so if 
you can't tell now <laughs> this entire story is about how we use fashion to stick it to the man like that That's time we story. took the high heel shoes from men and now they won't wear them exactly okay yeah so um i don't know if you know this but fashion and the history of fashion is one of my all-time favorite topics did you know that have i shared that with you before i had no idea honestly i mean yeah if it was i would expect for you to show up in something a bit more dressed not up in indiana, an indiana jones, jones t-shirt. t-shirt yeah not, like, not yeah. a screen print yeah screen print indiana jones t-shirt nope that's what i showed up in today people yeah <laughs> and i actually thought about I actually thought about putting together an absolutely delightful outfit to go with this, but it occurred to me, you can't see most of me. So what do you know? <laughs> I mean, for all I know, you're wearing red bottoms right now. I, I'm actually sitting next to a pair. Would you like me to bring them over and show them to you? I doubt that you really are sitting next to a pair of oh, Louboutins. Oh, hold, please. You own a pair of Louboutins. What? What? Two pairs. Little known fun fact about Angie. Damn. <laughs> okay, I need to up my shoe game. I've been outdone. And I have glass Tupperware. You know, I am tired of you showing me up. <laughs> we are minutes into the podcast and I'm I'm ready to log off and go wake and bake. Like, forget you, Angie. We're done. Yeah. Can we just take a second, though, to appreciate how absolutely adorable these shoes are? I mean, of course they are. The other pair I have are safely tucked in their box and they have like little lace, like leather lace frill on them. They're so cute. Why These do I are... have to be in sensible shoes until I can walk like a human? Well, I didn't say I wear them every day. I wear them for like two or three hours at a time. And then I'm like, all right, then my ankles need a massage. See, thankfully, in karate, we do things to strengthen our ankles. Thankfully, uh, rather unthankfully, I've taken more than one hike with my eldest son and ended up in a ditch. So mm. strengthening my ankles is probably something I should work on. Too. I mean, I, <laughs> after this, I'll show you a couple really killer ankle exercises that really help me step up my my heel game. Your ankle game? Okay, yeah. I'm here for it. Um. So yeah, now that you know that, fashion history is one of my very, very favorite topics. I am a clothes horse that can't get rid of um, things that delight me, and red-bottom shoes are one of them. Dang. So, anyway, my story starts in 1763. At this time, the state of Louisiana is, um, shall we say, acquired by the Spanish who brought ideas with them like the idea of i'm gonna butcher this word which is basically the ways of acknowledgement of slaves to purchase their own freedom so like (laughs) the spanish at this time in 1763 have realized that perhaps holding slaves goes against human nature and we should do something about that um so they make it so you can buy your own freedom I'm not sure how it worked in Spain if if it was like across the board like slavery just ended or they were required to all buy their own freedom. I'm not sure how that worked but they brought that idea with them. However, by this time Louisiana has a population that is already freed 
black persons and they are settled and they are thriving in fact by the time of the louisiana purchase in 1803 when the u.s would acquire louisiana the population of new orleans new orleans alone was 20 percent free people of color wow yeah so like i'm imagining an area where they these people are whether they've bought their freedom they've earned their freedom they came here free like whatever the case may be they are thriving and doing incredibly well in their surroundings in their communities and then the spanish come in and they're like huh (laughs) um within this community of people in 1763 the people of color whether the the free people of color they're not their place in the i don't want to say the hierarchy of things but their place in the world is really undefined they're not governed by slave laws nor could they hold the same rights and privileges as their white counterparts so they're like kind of just floating in limbo of being free but not having the same privilege Mm. while they do and can make like as merchants and tradesmen they do very well for themselves there's there's a large contingent of very well off free people of color mm-hmm. so the spanish governor would do things he would put things in place that would stop free black assembly and also ban the practice and i think this is really interesting he banned the practice of concubinage oh And I thought that was interesting because at this time, we know that, like, the U.S. as a whole, but especially down in this area, there's not a lot of women to, it's like 2.5 to 1, you know, like some stupid ratio of men to women. Yeah. So for them to ban the practice of being able to not technically marry, but enter into a physical relationship is kind of interesting. But I think a lot of it. They're trying to share the wealth. Yeah, basically. And and so they're banning this practice. And also one of the things that came out of those types of relationships are often freed children of color. If you're a white man having relations with a beautiful woman of color and you have children, oftentimes those children are born free. And this raised concern i guess with the spanish government of of how this was gonna work out as far as because their their space is so undefined they don't have the same privileges as the whites but they're also not governed by the laws of slavery or protected by the laws of either Mm. so like how how what are we gonna do so they're doing their best to try to figure out what we can do to stop this from (laughs) happening the governor, the Spanish governor at the time, his name is Esteban Rodriguez Murillo, because I needed to name him. He and you couldn't carried, come up with a shorter one. Nope. He, and that's probably why I needed to name him, because I read the name and I was like, sweet God, it's perfect. <laughs> um, He carried great concern of the free black women's beauty, implying that they were too beautiful and that far too many white men were attracted to them. You know, because if the as if the population wasn't already doubled in men as opposed to women, but what, right. you know, whatever. so this, this reminds me, I went to a very small, very conservative Christian university where the women, it was like a five to one ratio of women to men at the, university. Oh, wow. it, it either maybe not that high, but it was still like ridiculously 
not balanced to the point where one of the boys dorms put a t-shirt for all of their dorm members it showed a scale on the back with men to women like the actual ratio (laughs) and it said where the odds are good but the goods are odd (laughs) i love that and i was just like you jerks that's hilarious um 64 parishes.org has this to say about the male to female ratio and i'm just going to read it because i think it's really um important for us to get a visual of what life was like back then Mm. quote the responsibilities of women in colonial louisiana vary greatly depending on their individual circumstances many aspects of their daily life were consistent only the most elite women who constituted a very small minority escaped hard physical labor both inside and outside the home Although evidence exists that many participated in the retail trade of luxury goods in order to supplement their husband's income. Okay. Okay. Some women came to Louisiana with occupations. One ship's list names bakers, cooks, knitters, and seamstresses among the women on board. Most families did uh, did not own enslaved peoples or or hold indentured servants, excuse me, which meant that the responsibilities of maintaining the home and farm fell to all family members, including mothers and daughters. Even women who had servants worked alongside their laborers. Planting and harvesting crops, tending livestock, spinning, sewing, weaving, cooking, doing laundry, and performing the tasks necessary to survive in a society based on substance agriculture. Almost all women, except the truly elite, enslaved or free, tended homes, crops, and livestock, especially if they lived in rural areas. Louisiana women truly contributed to the development of the colony. Um, I have a thought that I'll share on this later, but I thought that giving us a, kind of a visual of what it was like to be a woman at this time. Yeah. Whether you were um, a freed woman of color or white, you shared the responsibility of your household. There was no, it didn't discriminate, I guess is the easiest way to say it. So, All that being said, the Spanish government was basically scared that the women of color were too lovely and decided that the only way to deal with that was to require them to cover their gorgeous hair, which was, quote, considered one of their most attractive features. Weird flex, but okay. So stupid. (laughs) They proclaimed the Tion was the perfect covering. Not only did it separate them from the looks of the white women, it was also the headwear of the slave population. This would be a visible cue to their relations to the enslaved as opposed to the people, to the free people that they were. Now I hate this. Right? Because it's not, Um, we're regulating, I I hate when we regulate all women, but you know, now it's, we're... We're only regulating some. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we're we're othering the other. Right. Uh, The women complied and they took it up a notch. In fact, I believe these ladies saw it as an app- an opportunity and a delightful challenge. The Tian was widely used according to the stupid law, but with a twist. The women would use the most expensive, colorful, gorgeous fabrics and tie them in very ornate knots while decorating them with jewels and feathers and whatever they liked. So it's super backfired. <laughs> and instead of it being used as a sign of inferiority, it would become... Quote, a mark of their beauty, wealth, and creativity, a subtle rebellion against colonial government that wanted to keep them down. Hell yes. Right? 
Um, they have been a staple in American fashion since the law was passed in 1786. Oh, don't worry, though. That law went out of fashion in the early 1800s anyway, so it didn't run for very long. By the time both women of both races were all over them, all the way to the White House, with Dolly Madison being a big fan. Wow. Mm-hmm. Which takes me back to the quote I read earlier about the women of Louisiana working to achieve the goals of survival. I honestly... To me, it's so hard to imagine working day in and day out next to this person to find out, like as a as a as a white lady, to find out that your friend now has to cover her hair. That's the stupidest thing imaginable. I mean, so, it's the same kind of crap we see in corporate now, where you have a black woman who's unable to wear her hair anything but straight. Right. So for me, I see, like, there had to be a lot of ideas being shared between the ladies and, like, beauty plans and creativity. I I honestly see in my mind that these white ladies were looking at their their friends and the women that they work with and seeing these gorgeous turban-style knotted hats with these feathers and these brooches and these jewels and being like, that's amazing. I want to do it too. And I and I fully see the women that are creating these styles as super um, involved and super welcoming to the idea. Like, I mm. don't think it was a, um, no, you can't do it too because you're not Black. Like, I think it was very much, yeah, we're all doing it. And it super backfired on the government. They're like, crap, all the women are doing it now. Right. <laughs> what are we gonna do? Um, Which, I, I personally, I, I freaking love that so much. Um, And I also, I, it's just, it makes me laugh. So there's all these glorious pictures that I shared with you earlier showing the different ways that they would wrap them, knot them, style them, what types of fabric they would use. And I loved, um, I don't know if you'll recall it, but the picture of the woman in the white one, she also is wearing like a bonnet. Like she has a, like a fastener type hat on, on top of her tion. So they're wow. like super decorative and yeah. let me just take the style of the time add the stupid headwear that you told me i need to add but i'm gonna also wear a hat on top of it because i need my hair to be three and a half feet tall <laughs> like, okay live your life sister but i i so when i was thinking about the use of fashion for statement because these women were meant to be held down and they took it and ran the other direction with it how many times in American history alone have women done that? I mean, you know, here we are being given more lemons going, okay, so I'm up to here with, with lemonade, but how about a good meringue? You, how how you guys <laughs> feeling about pie? Do you love pie? Because I love pie. And then we're going to do some lemon bars and then uh, we're going to, yeah. Uh, I mean, we have the ladies of the suffrage movement. They would use colors to delineate their their how they felt they white was representing femininity femininity and purity green and purple would represent dignity and loyalty um the flappers of the 20s like forget these bras were burning them they didn't burn them but you know what i mean like, i mean anybody just decides <laughs> to not put that contraption on as a hero right and so i'm thinking like it thinking about these women so long ago that were given this article of clothing that was meant to absolutely oppress them and set them aside as less than indifferent saw well, it and went 
Hmm. The hoop skirt where they're yeah. like, you know, I'm going to use this big, big skirt to keep men away from me. The bigger the skirt, the further they have to be. I love this. And honestly, I'm going to make bigger and bigger hula hoops to make sure that I don't have to talk to anybody. And it's fashion. Yeah. It's like, like ain't I great? So, yeah, I, I loved it. Like, I, I proceeded to go through the up up until our current decade of, of how fashion has been used to make a statement. Right. Be it... Um, in your community, politically, against a man, whatever the case may be, what it's used for, and how interesting it is that women who are often silenced have, for centuries, been like, oh, well, okay, I guess I'll just wear a dress that says what I'm trying to say then. Right. <laughs> and I am 100% here for it. So wear your nasty woman shirt. I will. With impunity. Knock your socks off. <laughs> <laughs> so there's my story. I love it. Oh, I do have a quote here. By this time, in my opinion, fashion was truly weaponized in the best possible way. You know, you're not wrong. You're Those not are wrong. my words. I'm so proud of myself. Well done. Well <laughs> done. You. Slow golf clap, everybody, and take a <laughs> bow. All right, finit. <laughs> so you... I don't think you've heard of my figure that I'm going to tell you about. Okay. But honestly, I don't know because okay. the the pool of your knowledge, albeit shallow, is vast. <laughs> <laughs> I have never been equally complimented <laughs> and put down at the same time so delightfully before. <laughs> You're welcome. You're Thanks welcome. for that. Yeah. <laughs> Though it be shallow, it is fast. <laughs> <laughs> and it would have not hit as hard if I'd said it the other way. You'd have been like... <laughs> Though it be vast, it is shallow. <laughs> no, it's much better. It's much better the way you went. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to tell you about Artemisia I of Halicarnassus. You just made all of that up. You would think so. My sources... A thought.com <laughs> biography of Arte Artemisia I, the warrior queen of Halicarnassus. She fought with Xerxes at the Battle of Salamis, or Salamis by Joan Johnson Lewis. Uh, there's an article from the Medusa Archive. Artemisa Is this the one that brought Xerxes the other guy's head? Mm, not that I know of. Maybe. like it, She fought for Xerxes. She did quite a bit of killing. But she was primarily water-based. Um, Artemisia I of Caria, of Artemisia of Halicarnassus, and history, worldhistory.org, Artemisia I of Korea by Joshua J. Mark. I like that you called her water-based. I mean, she 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 was not necessarily a land fighter. Oh, okay. I'm an idiot. When you said water-based, I was thinking, like, this is her fun way of saying this character may or may not have actually been real. Yeah, you know, she she might have just uh, had Finn's long flowing hair and sang and lured people to their deaths. Is this Alexander the Great's sister? No, no. no. And I'm joking about her being a siren. Damn it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Artemisia 
the first of Halicarnassus lived from circa, you know, 520 to 460 BCE. Okay. Okay. She was the ruler of the city of Halicarnassus at the time of the Persian Wars. So she, okay, so it's, she's, it says that the, she is part of a Carian colony of Persia and Halicarnassus, Halicarnassus, I'm going to say it differently every single time I say it. So that, <laughs> that's what it is. Fought against the Greeks. Uh, the Greek historian Herodotus is also from the same area. Uh, he's born in the same city that she rules and he records her story in the histories that he wrote in the mid or 50s so a lot of the information we have we get from him okay all right so she's born about 520 bce in halicarnassus in what is today bodrum turkey um at the time halicarnassus was the capital city of the carrion satrapy which of the archimedean persian empire in asia minor during the reign of darius the first so just just imagine the the beautiful ruler that fights against the um, Spartans during the Battle of Thermopylae in three hundred. Yeah. Okay. Just that whole thing carried in your brain. Got it. Okay. She's named after the Greek goddess Artemis and presides. Artemis, if you, I'm sure everybody knows, is the goddess of the wild, who is the patron deity of hunters. Um, Bar Artemisia is the daughter of King Lygdemus of Halicarnassus and a Cretan mother whose name we don't know. Um, the cool when you thing- say Cretan, I think of Mike Wazowski. You Cretan, <laughs> Mike Wazowski. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. Sorry. You're fine. You said it. Now no, I can't no. hear it. <laughs> I mean, honestly. When I was when I was reading this prior to, I was like, yeah, you know, Cretan's going to throw off me again, but <laughs> I was going to try to keep going and pretend I'm an adult. Sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. Call it out. Uh, what I'm I an like adult is not my strongest skill set. <laughs> what I like is we don't know her mother's name and that's like par for the course of history. But the cool part is upon the death of her husband, quote, whose identity is also unknown. Ah! So he's the husband, the unknown. I love it. The unknown king. Love Artemisia it. assumes the throne of Caria as regent for her young son, Pisidia Pisildilus. We don't know much about him, or I don't. I didn't read much about him because I didn't care. He's not the focal point. Um, while it's probable that he ruled Korea after her, there's no record to substantiate this. So, really, this whole line we really just know about her. I love that. Yeah. And How we, many times in history do we not even know when a queen is born? Oh, let so alone, many times. Like, let let alone the minute details of their life. And in this particular story, we know nothing about the men. I love that. Right. It's just like, wait, what? We don't even know her husband's name. He was the, he ruled. He, what? Like, so I'm just well, like. Well, clearly she wore the pants. Boy, did she. Boy, <laughs> did she. Okay. So. Artemisia, she inherits the throne from her husband um, when, you know, he passes away. And this is during the rule of Persian Emperor Xerxes I, also known as Xerxes the Great. Her kingdom includes the city of Halicarnassus and the nearby islands of Kos, Kalimos, and 
Nistros. Anyhow, she big kingdom. Um, and she ruled Halicarnassus between 460 and 450 BC. And it's about this time that Xerxes goes to war against Greece. Artemisia is the only woman among his commanders, and she brought five of the 70 ships sent to battle. And those five were with the forces that had a reputation for being the most ferocious. Okay. So she, she's a bit of a badass, and her troops are as well. And there is the direct quote from Herodotus that I have to, I have to share. Okay. I pass over all the other officers of the Persians because there's no need for me to mention them except for Artemisia, because I find it particularly remarkable that a woman should have taken part in the expedition against Greece. She took over the tyranny after her husband's death. And although she had a grown up son and didn't have to join the expedition, her manly courage impelled her to do so. Hers was the second most famous squadron in the entire Navy after the one from Sidon. None of Xerxes' allies gave him better advice than her. Well, I mean, it's about dang time someone takes notice to the fact that women are amazing commanders. I'm just saying. I mean, have you seen how we can multitask, hold a job down, keep the house going, and make a damn good pot roast? That's what I'm saying while wearing our red bottom heels. They're sitting I, next to me right next I'm, to me I'm now. honestly going to need to to just buy a pair and put them on a shelf and use that as impetus to get off these dang crutches. <laughs> they would go so good with that dress you bought on Etsy. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Now I'm <laughs> <laughs> it's just hang hang the dress up and the shoes below and you, you'll be set. Yeah. So Herodotus suggests that Xerxes selected Artemisia to lead the squadron to embarrass the Greeks. And honestly, when the Greeks hear about it, they offer a ward of 10,000 drachmas, about three years wages for the average workman, just for capturing her. Okay. Spoiler, nobody succeeds in claiming this price. Well, of course they don't. But I mean, there's literally one chick on the battlefield and nobody can seem to find her. Even okay, though... because here's the thing. If you're if if you are commanding a navy, right, and you are as badass as history has written you out to be, your men are going to be so loyal to you, no one will ever find you. Mm. Like I bet you she made mean cupcakes too. I bet you she just was good at being mean. Truly. Probably. Truly. <laughs> So the Persian Empire or the Persian Exposition is Xerxes' revenge on the Greeks or the Persian defeat of the Battle of Marathon in 490. You know, the battle Still where, about that. Yeah. you know, um, <laughs> one Greek decides, oh, crap, after a full day of fighting, I got to run home. And he runs 26 miles home Screams and then goes, Mikey and hey, y'all. <sighs> and then, yeah. yeah. And that's why we call it a marathon. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they're a little miffed about that. And the Persians invading force... Miffed is not the word. <laughs> <laughs> I might be underreporting, okay? I think, I, think, I think you're underreporting. I love it. 
Let's, I just, he's just, I see him all hot and bothered reading the newspaper in the morning, like, you know? Mm, I just, Martha, I missed. It is the exact same energy as standing at the DMV. <laughs> <laughs> you ever been at the DMV and deciding to start a land war? Every single time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So picture this setting is the local DMV. The air conditioner's gone out. It's 11 p.m. on a Wednesday, or 11 a.m. on a Wednesday, <laughs> and um, you're there for the next six hours. <laughs> I'm imagining this the Xerxes from the end of 300 in all of his regalia, like the nose piercing the whole bit, sitting like three chairs in in the DMV wait. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so silly. It makes me so happy up here for it. I would have burnt the DMV to the ground if I was him, but that's just me. The screenplay writes itself at this point. Yeah, you know, we've done so good. Let's put yeah. in the AI bot and see what happens. Honestly, I'm, you know what? <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, I'm joking. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode later this week, we'll have the story. Yep. Next week, it'll be a movie. All right, so the Persians are a bit miffed, and they assemble the largest army the world has ever seen at, up to this point. Even in Caria, 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 the part of the Persian Empire at the time has been compelled to supply the troops and ships, and it, there'd been no reason for a sitting queen to feel the need to accompany her soldiers to the field. Artemisia's the first decision, then, is wholly her own, and she does whatever the hell she wants. Get a girl. I do what I want. So she fights in the naval battle of Artemisium, which takes place off the coast of Eurybia. Um, and it's it's concurrently fought during the land engagement of Thermopylae. So the battle of 300 right. that you think of. Yeah. Um, and it's at that point she distinguishes herself as a commander and a tactician. And this part's amazing. It's said she would fly either the Greek or the Persian flag from her ships, depending on the circumstances. To what avoid conflict until she could position herself favorably to either assault or escape. Get it, girl. Like, she just, you know what? It's just a piece of fabric. I'm going to run it up. And now Give I'm going to- Give us 10 minutes. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, that part, just chef's kiss. So, after winning the battle at Thermopylae in August of 480 BCE, Xerxes sent- Merdanus to talk to each of his naval commanders separately about the upcoming battle at Salamis. Uh, Artemisia is the only one who advised against a sea battle, suggesting that Xerxes instead wait offshore to what she saw as the inevitable retreat or attack of the Peloponnese on shore. She's quite blunt about their chances uh, about against the Greek armada, saying that the rest of the Persian naval commanders are Egyptians, Cypriots, Sicilians, and Pamphylians? I know that's a made-up word, I feel like, but probably not. Um, how I pronounced it was Pamphylia? made up entirely. Sure. It, how do, yeah, okay. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, they're not up to the challenge, she says. And while he's entirely pleased that he's going that she's going to provide a separate viewpoint than the rest of his generals, he ignores her advice and chooses to follow the majority opinion. And it's during the battle. That even though she's like, hey, y'all, this is dumb. The rest of these guys can't do this. The, these guys around me, group of cowards, they're not 
battle-born like we are. They don't know what the hell they're doing. She still fights. He's like, Somebody's okay. Somebody's got to pay their DMV registration, you know? Right. So she's, she still joins the fight. And it's at that point she finds her flagship being chased by an Athenian vessel. And she's got no chance to escape. Now, mind you, she's got a 10,000 drachma bounty on her head. It's at this point she notices that the ship near her is an ally ship uh, being commanded by a king that may or may not be on the best of terms with her, even though they are allies. She (laughs) rams the friendly vessel that's commanded by the Chalcidians and their king, Demastathios. Their ship sinks, including all of the soldiers on board. Oh, that's unfortunate. The Athenian vessel is so confused by her actions that they assume she's either a Greek ship or a deserter, and they leave Artemisia's ship to, to chase others. All had right. The Greek commander realized who he was chasing and recalled the price on her head. He would have not changed his course. You would think. <laughs> no one from the Calindian ship survived, and Xerxes is so impressed with her nerve that he says, my men have become women, and my women, men. Little does he know we've been badass to begin with. Right? Like, okay, but damn. Because she, like, one source said that the ship she took out was a a political challenger to her. And so she, (laughs) she made the best out of that situation. She's like, look, one of us is going down. It's one, two, three, not it. Goodbye. And now I have his land too. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So after the failure of Salamis, uh, Xerxes abandons his invasion of Greece and Artemisia is credited in persuading him to make this decision. As a reward, Xerxes sends her to uh, Ephesus to take care of his illegitimate sons. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I guess if you view her as more manly than the rest of the men in your entire fleet, that's exactly who you'd send to raise your sons. Right. You know, (laughs) obviously we need a complete badass to manage this and to make sure that they stay safe. So the end Mm -hmm. of Artemisia's career sees Xerxes sending her off to Ephesus. And even though she's a Greek, Artemisia saw the greater gain in Xerxes' open-mindedness regarding women's ability to fight and lead in battle that um, she's just renowned and recorded in history as becoming the great advisor. Hmm. Um, Artemisia sought a great accomplishment in her ability to navigate through the allowances that the Persian Empire gave women. And I'm like, yeah, honestly, she did really do a great job in navigating that. Yeah. And the the crazy part is, is that this is basically... For the most part, most of all we know about Artemisia. And a majority of that comes from Herodotus himself. So all of the other references that we have of Artemisia include um, the Greek, the 5th century Greek physician, Philosus, who spoke of her as a cowardly pirate. So basically he's writing like 500 years afterward. And he's like, yeah, she's a pirate. Um, The Greek playwright, Aristophanes. We love pirates. I mean, honestly, I'm not opposed. <laughs> Aristophanes uses her as a symbol of the strong and uppity warrior women in his comedic play, Lysistrata. 
And she's also um, hearkened back to in the Mothlazuzai, equating her with the Amazons. Well, I mean... In a woman who's willing to cut off her own breast be a better warrior should be feared. Should be feared. Yeah. Later writers... Go ahead. Uh, do you know that? Oh, I don't want to tell you my fact because I don't want to give up one of my next stories. Never mind. I'll, t- I'll harken back to this episode then. Never mind. Delete me. I kind of hate you a little bit right now. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Well, <laughs> tease. So later writers are generally approving of her, including we have Polyanis, the second century a Macedonian author of The Strategians of War and just in the second century Roman Empire historian Photis the Fallen so okay so Photis the economical patriarch of Constantinople describes the legend of Artemisia as having fallen hopelessly in love with the younger man from Abydos jumping off a cliff to cure the unrequited passion I mean and this doesn't jive because no. While that death sounds glamorous and romantic, dude, I, I just sister don't died see happy it. old in her bed. Like, right? The, she did not jump off a cliff because some guy did not return the favor. And it's great you think that because archaeological evidence uh, kind of shows that that's probably not the case because it shows that there's evidence of Artemisia's relationship with Xerxes in the ruins of the mausoleum at. Uh, Halicarnassus. So, of course, there's a British archaeologist involved here, which is why earlier I was just like, look at that. <laughs> um, Charles Thompson Newton, when he evacuated the mausoleum or excavated, I like the- evacuated. Yeah, come on out, spirits. <laughs> That's exactly what I saw. To the left, to the left. <laughs> no, no, no. Enter this haunted jar. We're taking you back to the museum. <laughs> I need that to be a movie too, where he's like extra polite. <laughs> no, no, please and thank you. Oh, yep. yes, I'm so well grateful done. you well picked done. up the Queen's English in this time. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what I need to have happen. Okay, so anyhow, he excavates the mausoleum in fifteen or 1857. The mausoleum itself is built by Artem- Artemisia II to honor her husband. Malosis between 353 to 350. Um, so is Artemisia's the second? the first daughter? I don't think so, right? Um, but she's further down the line, but she okay. she does get her name probably from that that namesake. And a lot of Ar- Artemisia's the second's exploits are credited to Artemisia the first. Like they have very similar personalities. And so when you okay. hear of this crazy story that Artemisia is involved in, you kind of conflate the two. Okay. Um, but anyhow, in the mausoleum, they find a, um, what kind of jar is it? What kind of jar? It's made of something special. Where is it? Where's that word? Oh, calcitite? No, it's like, where is it? I want to say it's calcitite, but I can't find that word now. Um, um, you know what? Honestly, this article calls it an alabaster jar, but it's inscribed with the signature of Xerxes the first. Um, and since this jar is you know like has the royal symbol the fact that it was in um artemisia the second's tomb it shows 
that the presence of this shows it was likely passed down from descendant to descendant. And then one of them had it buried with them. Okay. So, I mean, that part is absolutely fantastic to realize that she was held in such high regard. Now I'm seeing Xerxes as a proud papa. With a general nursemaid? Yeah. Yeah. At the DMV. (laughs) (laughs) Way to bring it all the way back to the DMV. I forgot that we were setting the stage there. (laughs) Sorry, your naval battle took place in the DMV parking lot. (laughs) The floor is lava. Everybody stay in your vehicles. (laughs) (laughs) which means that that rival ship was really just ran over by her ford f-150 yeah and it was the soccer mom next door that's a real pain in the ass super gossip Mm -hmm. oh can't stand her honestly (laughs) somebody had to take her out because if she tells the hoa one more complaint i I swear to wally Uh i am going to cut down her literally bushes I literally was going to say, if she complains to the HOA again, I'm done. (laughs) I love being on the same brain train with you. It's my favorite. You know, same. One of the crazy things, and I feel bad that A, I didn't take two weeks to do her and um, really study her or keep up with pop culture when kiddo was a toddler because... While I love the movie 300, I missed 300 Rise of the Empire. Okay, yeah. And apparently, Rise of the Empire features the story of Artemisa. And she brings Xerxes the heads. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's a really, uh, it's like the one scene in the movie that stuck with me. Okay, well, I mean, so it shows that I should just, you know, go ahead and watch it. But I will show you the images I could find of Artemisa. So there's this incredible coin that harkens from the uh, Romans. So they look at her wearing a head covering as always. Yep. And then we've (laughs) got the picture of her played by Eva Green in 300 Rise of the Empire. Eva Green slayed that role. She was so good. I mean, honestly, it makes me feel so like excited and I wish I, I would have seen it. Yeah, now you have to go back and watch it. Yeah, and now you know the full story that she was just an incredible badass. I love that my pictures are still showing. I didn't, I thought I minimized them. I I am not watching your pictures. I can't see. I haven't seen them we go. in a long time. So when you when you shared your screen, my screen came up, and I thought I closed my screens like for to make things more streamlined. Oh no, you apparently you did not. <laughs> but I they didn't Sorry. disrupt me. You know, <laughs> I, I was. <laughs> Didn't bother me at all. Zero ruffles in my feathers. Perfect. No feathers ruffled. Oh my gosh. I love knowing that she was a real person. I thought for, because I know the story of the Battle of Thermopylae pretty well, but I didn't, and I know like Xerxes is Xerxes and Emperor Darius and all that, but I did not realize that she was an actual you know, real person. And honestly, I'm glad I knew that before watching because I feel like if I would have watched the movie and seen that, I'd have gone, they threw a chicken just to make me happy. Yeah, that's Uh, what I thought. Like when I was watching it, like, okay, I love her, but that's kind of, you just made that up. You're just pandering. (laughs) 
You could have put Hugh Jackman in a man's role. That would have been fine, too. <laughs> I like how we are so pessimistic. <laughs> we don't believe it. I don't believe this woman existed. <laughs> like, I would need, you know, it, it would need to be like a soap opera. As soon as she appears, it'd be like, and the part of Artemisia is a real person, real, real person, real person played by Eva neon sign. <laughs> Yes. Factually based. Little asterisk. Mm-hmm. See, those those little notes need to be in film. Just saying. Yeah, because then it would give, like, all the kids going, I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, who? How do you spell that? Okay, back up again. Well, one more time. Yep. Can you pause? <laughs> yeah. Uh, parents, turn the captions on because I'm going to need to see how the screenwriters put this in the script. Oh my god. You know the amount of movies I'd go back and watch just to check? She'd be like, oh my gosh, real? Because the times I'm watching a show or a movie and I pull up my phone and be like, did they exist? Because I actually found her because I was watching a show somewhere about pirates. I don't even remember what it was on. Maybe Stars? Anyhow, I was watching a show about pirates and they had this very strong female character uh, you know, in Nassau, you know, the, the, the fun pirate colony. And I'm like, did she really exist? And it showed that she was a fictional character. And then it was like top female pirates you've never heard about. And I was like, I doubt it. Yeah. Right. Drawing your O'Malley taking number one. Right. Like, um, and all of a sudden it was just like Artemisia the first. I was like, I'm sorry, who we had pirates back in BCs. Like, and not, I not like the this. Chinese w- female who was incredible. Oh, she's amazing. Name. But the, I was just going to say, I can't 1100, remember her name. 1,100 people underneath her, and she ends up being paid to retire by the Chinese was, government. Wasn't it 1,100 ships, 1,800 men, and the Chinese government was finally like, please just go away? For, for the love of anything, we'll, we'll, <laughs> like, we'll pay give you your whatever retirement. you want. Just stop it. You know what? I think <laughs> your, your numbers are right. I love her story. Dang it. What is her name? Well, long story I, short, I think that's I know her name, but I won't say it out loud because I know I'd be pronouncing it wrong. So even though I think I know the written word, it's still going to yeah. be wrong no matter how I say it. I haven't practiced saying it, so I'm just going to yeah, that way. Yeah. Okay, but you you know who yeah. I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Okay, I've been the need for that pirate queen for sure. You can have my ships, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. Like, look, I can't, I can't bend my knee well. But what I can bend. I'm going to try. <laughs> Better chance of me being able to bend that knee than being able to put on those red shoes. What if you could be a pirate queen in the red shoes? Then all the ankle sizes, ankle exercises in the world wouldn't help me. I they would make be red bottoms. That, they make red bottom combat boots. What is the point? For the red bottoms? I asked Ian the same thing because we were looking at them one day and I was like, those are silly. I love them. Why? Was it like capitalism? That's why. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There's spikes on them. They're amazing. <laughs> they scream London like 1989. Like the punk scene is just heating up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The number of topics we've covered in this hour. I mean, and we've gone all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. To, Our to... stories are a circle. <gasps> no, honestly, like Mike was talking to somebody and he goes, 
having a conversation with my wife is dizzying because she will start talking about one thing and it'll connect to something and it'll connect to something mm-hmm. else and it'll connect to something else. And just when I think she's off on this really bizarre tangent, she brings it all the way back. And I don't know how she got back there, but we're back at the beginning. She did. And it all made sense to her. And strangely, I was able to follow, but I yeah. didn't see the transitions coming. Yep. <laughs> Gotta love it. Husbands are special. They're mm. a special breed of man, that's for sure. I mean, honestly, the fact that I've kept this one around long enough, you know? I like to remind mine that he chose me, so he doesn't really have a choice. See, and I just remind mine on how hard it was to get him to this point. Like, and he's a good guy. Like, I'm not going through it again. If he wanders in front of a bus, like, I'm, I'm not trying out for part two. Like he's a good one and this was a ton of work i don't want to try on a lesser individual yeah yeah i'm good yeah like the one i got i'm not i'm not trying to do updates i don't want to restart no you know like we know control alt delete works we reset the tabs we're good i mean there are occasions where i wish i could just task manager yeah force close some of his programming but (laughs) we can't um but they're keepers you know yeah i filled in the hole in the backyard i was about to say you wistfully said that and looked out the (laughs) hole and i was like did you put his body in there is that why you wanted to start an hour later than i thought we were no he's out doing that he's at rehearsal if you've enjoyed this episode of unhinged history then Rate, review, subscribe, compulsively share it with your friend, and send us a message at unhinged.historypod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And on that note, goodbye. Bye. <laughs>